Brian Busby is a literary historian. From Montreal, Quebec. And I always think of myself as Montreal. I come from St. Mary's in Ontario, a small town. That's where I ended up four years ago. And that's where you live. That's where I live. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you very much. We're going to talk about Montreal, uh, even though you don't live there. You do seem to focus on it. Uh, definitely. It's, it's, it was my home. Uh, I was born there. I was raised there. My parents were from there. And it's really uh, the place I always consider home. And, and I, I expect one day I'll return to Montreal to live. We were talking about the fact that it isn't really a city of, of plaques. Authors who have lived and worked and written about the city haven't really been acknowledged in a physical sort of way. No, and, and it's interesting. I think if, if you're somebody who has been to London, for example, you can't help but miss the blue plaques. And they're a wonderful way to really explore history because, of course, sometimes you see a blue plaque and, uh, oh, I see Jimi Hendrix lived here when he lived in London. Another time you'll see a blue plaque and, and you don't know the person who's being honored. So, of course, then you look him up. And that's a wonderful way to really have a sense of history and continuity. There, there are a few plaques in Montreal. Most of them have nothing to do with writers, uh, big political figures, and, and there are people like that. When I was working on my most recent book, which was a biography of John Glasgow, Canadian uh, poet, Canadian yeah. poet, Montrealer, one of the things I wanted to do, of course, was to uh, find out where he'd lived and just little things like that. Uh, so I had very specific addresses I'd written down, and I'd, I'd go and look at them. But before I went on that specific tour, I began at McGill, which holds about a third of his papers. Uh, he, he attended McGill, and, and as I say, it, it holds a third of its papers in its rare book room. And which is a, a worthwhile literary destination in oh, itself. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, and, and one need not uh, have an appointment or, or ask for material in advance. You can actually go there and ask for the material, and they'll bring it to you. Not, they don't have to go to you know, someplace off the island of Montreal to a big warehouse and get it and bring it back. But the interesting thing about that specific trip was that uh, I spent the day at McGill going through his papers, and then I met a friend for a drink at a pub, and, uh, and then uh, the next uh, time I was in town was the time I went searching to find out where he'd lived. And sure enough, it turned out that for about six years, he had a pied-à-terre in Montreal, he also had a house in the country, so he had a little Montreal apartment for, for a period of about six years. That very address has since been turned into the pub I was drinking in with a friend on my previous visit. So I was actually drinking in John Glasgow's apartment in a, in a very roundabout way, not knowing it. What's the name of the pub? It was called O'Regan's, and in true Montreal tradition, O'Regan's has vanished, and it's now a pub called Fiddler's Green on uh, Bishop Street. One of the nice things about that pub is that it is just down the street from St. James the Apostle Anglican Church. It's uh, the corner of St. Catherine and Bishop, and that is where the writer's chapel is. And we were talking about plaques, and for the centenary of Glasgow's birth, uh, I got together with one of Glasgow's good friends, Michael Murowski, and uh, we decided we would honor him with a plaque 
because there is no memorial to him. He was cremated, his ashes were sprinkled in a, in a stream, but no one's even sure exactly which stream it is, but it was one that ran through his property. Mm -hmm. And this is in Foster, okay. in the eastern township, mm -hmm. south of Montreal. And so there was no memorial to the man, so we kind of played around with the idea of we would have a plaque cast, and where would we have it put up, and whom would we ask? And we, we thought of McGill, he hated McGill. So that might not have been the right place. We thought of the house he lived in and died in, in Montreal, but it's a private residence. One never knows, you know, it's because it's not part of a program by the city. Another owner could buy the house and say, I don't want that thing on it. And also we thought it's not a street a lot of people walk on. So not a lot of people would see this plaque. And so then we decided to put it in St. James the Apostle and approach them. And the reason we chose St. James the Apostle was that it was his childhood church and it was a church of his parents as well and his grandparents. And he did consider himself an Anglican. He was a naughty boy, but he was an Anglican. Do you allowed for confession or not? Uh, I, I think you're not obliged. You you can always confess. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then go obliged. out again and, uh, yeah. Yes, but anyway, he was married there both okay. times. Funeral was there. And uh, we thought it would be a wonderful idea. So we approached them, and we had a wonderful evening with uh, a lot of Glasgow's friends. Uh, all of Montreal, old Montreal friends came. And when did he die? He died in uh, 1981, right. born in 1909. What we did was we had this, this wonderful evening. It was such a success that Michael Nurowski thought we should do this again. And the church was all for it. So the next year, we uh, honored A.J.M. Smith with a plaque. And it was the 30th anniversary of Smith's no, death. So another poet, editor. He was another poet. It was a perfect pairing, I thought, because Smith was Glasgow's mentor. And in, in the book, I don't think I say it in, in so many words, but in, in the biography I wrote, it becomes clear that, to me, Smith was the mentor Glasgow always should have had. Uh, if you look at Glasgow's life, the first half is relative silence in terms of writing. It was only about sometime around his 50th year that a flurry of activity happened, and that a lot of that was Smith's influence. Smith, again, was, a, was, was he a lawyer as well? Uh, you might mistaken. be thinking of Scott, because people often yeah. pair Scott with Smith. Yeah. Scott was a constitutional lawyer. He was a dean of the faculty of law at McGill, yeah. and he was a poet. And yeah. Scott and Smith were the early, you know, they, they were the big champions of modernism in, in poetry, mm -hmm. and they were all friends of Glasgow's. It's nice that you brought them up, because the next year we did Scott. And mm -hmm. uh, that year, third year, uh, which was the most recent year, it was uh, last October, there was a very big ceremony with the Bishop of Montreal, and it was actually quite touching. Uh, at, at the end, uh, we all crammed into the chapel, you know, we were, the, the ceremony was in the big church, and then we all crammed into the chapel, and he officially dedicated this chapel that was over 100 years old and never had a name as the Writer's Chapel. So now it's officially the Writer's Chapel, and this coming year will be, uh, this year in October, will be uh, honoring Hugh McLennan. The and idea is to honor Montreal writers, and they need not be English. They need not be Anglican. The idea is to honor, honor uh, the writers from our past. Could you speak to that, the, the importance of having a physical location at which these writers are uh, celebrated? I like the idea of a central location. I think that's a, a wonderful thing to see these plaques. Now, granted, right now there are three, but if everything goes according to plan, in 100 years there will be 103 of them, and, and you'll really see this gathering of Montreal names. So it makes you more aware of the literary history 
the other thing is I would love to see more plaques on buildings. But as you see, for example, with uh, O'Regan's, which yeah. is now Fiddler's Green, well, um, it, when we were there initially celebrating Glasgow's life, we finished off at the Writer's Chapel. We all went for a drink at, o at O'Regan's, of course, because that's that was his apartment. Oh, watering hole. Or yeah, was well, it, was it, 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 was his, it was his private yeah. watering hole because yeah. it was his apartment. But the thing about that was then we thought, oh, you know, O'Regan's should have a plaque, and, and maybe we could even talk to them about that. And, and you realize, yes, and if we'd done that, then a new owner would have come along and thought, what's this? And either they would have wanted to keep it up or they wouldn't have, mm -hmm. and then it would be lost. That's one of the problems. Unless it's a historically... Uh, Unless it's protected. Yes. Yes, because there are, you know, the blue plaques, you can't buy a building in, in London and say, well, I don't like that blue plaque, I'm taking it down. Because or tear the building down for that no, matter. No, you can't tear the yeah. building down. And actually, it's funny you say that because um, one of the things is once you put a plaque up, there's mm -hmm. some history. And if you just walk down St. Catherine Street a few blocks, there was, um, this isn't necessarily a literary thing you know, I'm talking about here, but a few blocks down the street, it, there was a theater called the Seville. And the Seville was a true theater that was turned into a movie theater. But the people who played on its stage were people like Frank Sinatra and Ella Fitzgerald and Count Basie and people like that. And uh, I knew it as a repertory theater. It was actually quite nice inside, uh, mar marble and everything else. Um, then it was bought by a developer. It was closed down. He wanted to turn it into condos. The city fought against him on that. They wouldn't let him demolish it. So he did, in true Montreal style, what, what developers do when they want to demolish a building is they take everything of value out of the inside, they punch some holes in the ceiling, they turn on the water, they light the, let the pipes burst, they destroy the building, and it took a long while. It was a very well-made building, but it took a long while for him to get permission to, de to demolish it. It was about 20 years. In the meantime, one of the walls fell on, the on a side street, and, and all these things were happening. And my, my argument, and, and this is why I think uh, I, I have my own thoughts against development, so it perhaps taints the way I view things, but my argument would be if you have a plaque mm -hmm. on a building and it says, you know, Count Basie played here, Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, Duke Ellington, it's going to be a lot harder to rip down that building because the public has a greater sense of the history of this building and a greater appreciation. And, uh, and to me, the, the idea of continuity in history is very important. And uh, when you destroy things, uh, you, you lose so much of that. You lose so much of the soul of the city. And I guess I would love to see the city do something like this. And, yeah. uh, it's something we haven't approached the city on. Just to follow on to that, I've just finished reading uh, Charlie Foran's uh, biography of uh, Mordecai Richler and made a point of going to see Walensky's, which is still standing and mm -hmm. still operating. At the very end of the book, he makes mention of Mordecai's wife who's still living, yep. and she has had a, a bench built across from his grave, and she's planted a mulberry bush and so I visited that site, yes. and it really was moving and poetic and a beautiful way to muse on and celebrate one of our great writers. Mm -hmm. Definitely, and I, I do like the idea of that kind of making a, a bit of a pilgrimage. You know, Glasgow, 
and, and Richler knew each other, and they used to go together to a restaurant that's still around called uh, Les Mas, and it's just, just down from Fiddler's Green. So, you, you know, it, with a bit of research, you can draw a really nice walking tour of, it, of that area of Montreal because, you know, Richler used to drink on bishops just up the street and uh, people's paths would cross. And, you know, even though they're no longer with us, we can see what they appreciated. Well, thanks very much for doing the work that you're doing. It's a labor of love. And I have to say, I never think of it as work uh, because it's, it's so interesting, almost like the continuity of one's education. And, and it's good fun. Well, and what you're doing is, I think, is a service to Canadian culture for future generations. So thanks for talking about it. Thank you. I've been speaking with Brian Busby, who is a literary historian who lives in St. Mary's, Ontario, but who has a love for all things Montreal. Thanks again. Thank you.